Good morning, everyone. My name is Aspen Dudzik, and I am the host of Forestry Talks, a podcast that explores all things forestry in Alberta. And I am so thrilled to be joined by Dr. Mike Flanagan, a professor at Thompson Rivers University in Kamloops, BC. Dr. Mike, how are you doing? I'm great. Great to be with you, Aspen. Yeah, super thrilled to have you on my show. Um, of course, you specialize in uh, wildfire science and fire management and all that kind of stuff. So something super topical for us to explore right now, given you know the really crazy season that we've had here um, over the last few months. But I'm super curious, how did you get into wildfire? <laughs> so from an early age, I've been fascinated with fire. My, my first birthday, I had a cake with one candle. And I stuck my finger in the, ca- in the candle in the flame and because I was so fascinated by it. And actually, I started to cry, but I, I kept my finger oh. in there <laughs> because I was still fascinated by it. And, you know, I spent my summers in southern Alberta in the town I lived in. We burned our trash, our garbage. Mm-hmm. So that was one chore I always volunteered because it, they let me get the matches to start in the 45-gallon drum. So, and then I started, I also love weather. So I started working as a fire weather forecaster and then moved to Canadian Forest Service and starting studying fire weather and been doing it ever since. That's It's been over 40 years. So, yeah. yeah. That is incredible. I think this might be one of my favorite origin stories so far that I've heard. Were your parents concerned about this uh, interest in fire at a young age? Uh, I, I was a bit of a pyro. I still am, although I start all fires legally now. Okay, no, no illegal fires. Disclaimer: fire We're good. Yeah, <laughs> but I won't mention the name of the town. But uh, one of my little play things got away once and without some help from my parents and uh, uncle um, the town might have burned down because it was a hot dry windy day which is not not great for fire so uh, Mm -hmm. hopefully I learned learned my lesson yes well I I imagine so and and so after um, you know many years of education in the field I imagine you know how to play with fire a little bit more safely (laughs) I hope yeah so what does that look like now? What does uh, playing with fire, I guess, look like for you in a professional aspect now? Well, it's mostly sitting behind a computer. Uh, it's modeling and doing research. I do live vicariously through my students who still go out in the field and do things. But uh, yeah, uh, my life is a computer now, as is mm-hmm. many people. So this year's just been a crazy year it's uncharted for alberta and canada it's it's wild yeah absolutely let's talk about maybe what's creating some of the conditions or or what's maybe let's first start with what is so unique about the fire season that we're seeing this year well first it's a record breaker in our modern day records which go back to 1959 for alberta we've burned 1.7 million hectares. That may not mean much to most people, but it's about 20 times the size of Calgary or Edmonton. So it's it's a big chunk of real estate. And uh, it started early and Mm -hmm. with record-breaking heat and temperature is very important to fire. And we can maybe talk about that later. Why temperature, you know, Mm -hmm. hot, dry, windy, people understand, but how about what's going on with temperature? Mm -hmm. So, So we started early and... You know, unlike other years where you have a flare-up 
and you think back in Alberta, um, every three to five years, we seem to have fire. 2011, Slave Lake. 2015 was very active, but not in May. 2016, Fort McMurray, of course. 2019, Chuckie Creek, now 2023. And May is the busiest month for fire um, in Alberta. And it's the only jurisdiction in Canada where that's the case, which is, so Alberta is a bit different in that regard. Mm-hmm. So we started with record-breaking heat and we had the fires. And unlike many other years, um, you know, as spring progresses, things green up, the grass turns green, the aspen comes out and flushes, and then the fire season quiets down. Not so much this year. It kept on burning. It may have not made the news because Nova Scotia caught in fire, then Quebec caught in fire. Meanwhile, Northern Alberta was still burning. It's still burning as I speak, which is, you know, it's July, which is, you know, some years are busy and some years are quiet. So it's just started with with a bang and it's keep on burning and burning and burning. And um, it looks like it's going to burn you know, some of these fires are huge. They'll burn right through summer, right through fall. And some of them will burn right through winter underground. They'll smolder. And, you know, this is not unheard of. Uh, mm-hmm. The Fort McMurray fire started May 1st, 2016, declared out summer of 2017. So I expect wow. some of these will burn through the winter. Yeah. So that's, you know, something that maybe not a lot of people are aware about. How are these fires burning during the winter? What does that look like? And, and how is the snow not putting them out? <laughs> so we have what's called peatlands. And people may be familiar with the term bog. And it's just organic material that's about 40 centimeters or more in depth. Uh, sphagnum mosses. You, you get your landscaping store, your nursery. It, so the fire burns underground in this peat moss. And it can burn and burn and smolder. It's not flaming combustion, it's smoldering. Meanwhile, on the on the forest floor, there's snow, but underneath there's this smoldering fire. Eventually, mm-hmm. spring comes, snow melts, and it gets warm, dry, and windy, and the smoldering fire goes back to the surface and then starts spreading. Uh, some people call them zombie fires. Well, yeah, <laughs> catchy. Definitely an interesting name. I'm surprised. Uh, that the fire would not suffocate under all that snow? Because, of course, we know that fire needs oxygen to burn. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, sure. There's enough air spaces in the peat. I mean, it doesn't need much oxygen. There's enough for it to smolder. You're right. It needs oxygen. But there is sufficient amount because it's not like a solid rock. There's little air spaces in there that provide the oxygen. Okay. Interesting. So we're, you know, maybe forecasting that we might see some of the fires that are burning in Alberta right now burn all the way through the winter. Um, something that I, I believe that I read, I'm, I probably won't have the numbers correct right now, but there was something about the fires in Alberta this year and how much they spread over the period of even just a night from one day to the next. We were seeing travels, or sorry, fires travel significant distances. What's contributing to that? Well, hot, dry, windy, Uh, maybe I'll back up a bit. To have a wildfire, there's a simple recipe. You need three ingredients. First, you need the vegetation. We call it fuel. What type, how much, how dry, all important aspects. Second, you need ignition, people, and lightning. And third, you need warm or hot, dry, windy conditions. You get all three, you get a wildfire. Mm -hmm. So we did have extreme fire weather. We had hot, dry, windy weather. in spades this year. Uh, Also, we had something called uh, 
pyro-CBs or pyrocumulonimbus, fire-generated thunderstorms. And these are known to spread high intensities, spread rapidly. This year in Canada, we've had over 100 of these fire-generated thunderstorms. The, glo- the previous global record was 102 for the globe for, for a fire year. So Canada alone has already exceeded that for 2023. So this is an exceptional year, you know, yeah. the uncharted territory we're in. And those pyro CBs can spread very rapidly. And mm-hmm. there's someone for the Fort McMurray fire, McMillan fire, uh, Chisholm, that there's a lot of history of having these pyro CBs, but they're becoming much more frequent. And with that, we see higher intensities and rapid spread. Mm-hmm. And what's what's creating these conditions for these uh, these fire thunderstorms, essentially? So it's a couple of things at play. First is the intensity. Uh, so as things get hotter and drier, more fuels available to burn, which leads to higher intensity fires. And so that develops a good column. So, you know, for every kilogram of fuel or vegetation you burn, you get more energy. So, and as we get this hot, dry weather, the fuels, more fuel is available to burn, more vegetation. And so you get more energy. So you get energetic plume updraft and just keeps on rising. And it's like your grade three water cycle. As air rises, eventually starts to cool and condense, form clouds and keeps rising, precipitation, thunder, lightning, and a lot of people may not be aware, but during the combustion process, not only does it release heat, it also releases moisture that's trapped in the wood and the fuel. And so you got moisture and that lift and you get a thunderstorm. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Fort McMurray thunderstorm, for example, the Fort McMurray fire had a pyro CB and it had lightning and it started new fires downwind from the original Fort McMurray fire. Wow. So self-propagating. Yeah. yeah, yeah, all essentially resulting from the original fire. Um, and, and you mentioned, you know, the hot and dry conditions, all of these dry fuels contributing to some of the crazy and intense fires that we've seen. Um, I want to talk about how Alberta's fire season is typically in May. And, you know, that's a time of the year where we might see a lot more dry fuels, um, things like grasses that are dry and dead. I mean, there's, you know, the surface area to volume ratio is pretty notable. So that's where we might see lots of fires. But why is it that we're seeing these happen mostly in Alberta as compared to, you know, other jurisdictions in Canada, you mentioned maybe later in the season? So there's something called the spring window, and this occurs pretty well all across Canada. So after the snow leaves, it exposes all that dead organic material from the previous autumn, grasses, needles, leaves. And, you know, so there's an opportunity for a fire to start, as long as it's not raining or some or snowing, uh, so that that window between snow melt and vegetation green up is three to four weeks. It occurs all across Canada, and in Canada, half the fires are started by people, and half by lightning. It's pretty close to being true for Alberta as well. Human caused fires dominate in the spring, lightning in the summer. So we see this all across Canada. Why is it more pronounced in Alberta? because there's more industrial activity, more recreational activity. Uh, quads or four-wheelers are notorious for starting fires. And you say, well, there's a couple of ways. You know, how do they do this? Well, first, 
you park on dry grass and whether it's a car or a quad you have a hot muffler tall grass starts a fire right. the other way is as you go along the trail often you get this pd material gets on the muffler it starts to warm up even starts to smolder you go over a bump falls off hits dry grass starts a fire um, yeah. so that's why we have things like fire bands and forest closures to reduce the likelihood of, of these fire starts but probably the main reason is the weather patterns we see in alberta are kind of unique for may compared to other jurisdictions what happens is an arctic high comes down to our east over manitoba say and so you get very dry arctic air and you've got a low pressure over bc or the pacific ocean you get a very strong southeast gradient and the slave lake fire was a classic example of that and it's extremely dry persistent and it strong during the day and night and the fuels get really dry and if there's any ignition whether it's a campfire agricultural burning or even burning your garbage like i mentioned some of the fires the winds are so strong it tips over the burning barrel and starts a fire so that's why we get these strong southeast gradients these strong southeast winds that's are one of the conditions for a fire you know as i said you need fuel the vegetation it's in spring spring windows dry ignition unfortunately a lot of them in, in may in alberta are human caused and then you get that dry windy conditions and away we go mm -hmm. so yeah kind of the the combination of these factors really all at one time is part of what's contributing to the fire season the early fire season in alberta yes and you know unfortunately we see this every three to five years it just mm -hmm. you know if you look past it our record it seems like every 10 years we'd have a bad fire season now it seems like every three to five years we have a very active may and what might be contributing to this increase in frequency uh, we're seeing warmer drier conditions and you know our climate is warming and one of the things our research has shown is the warmer we get the more fire we see and you say whoa 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 why is temperature so important here mm -hmm. and you know i'm not talking about individual fire like the fort mcmurray fire the slave lake fire where wind is a critical aspect here i'm talking about fire over a longer period of time like decades over a larger area like alberta three reasons fire people love threes all right first <laughs> is the warmer we get the longer our fire seasons are and in alberta this is true our fire season officially used to start april 1st now it's march 1st so more opportunity for fire to start and burn with our longer fire seasons second the warmer we get the more lightning we see right and the more lightning we see the more fires we see and the third reason is probably the most important but probably the most convoluted okay as the atmosphere warms the ability to suck moisture out of that vegetation that fuel and here i'm talking about dead fuels on the forest floor mm -hmm. uh, cured grass needles leaves that respond very quickly to the environment these fuels dry out exponentially as temperature increases so unless we see more rain and you know our models of what the future may look like suggest we're not going to see enough rain to compensate for this drying effect is that we're going to have drier fuels okay and this is a critical piece for fire because the drier the fuel it means it's easier for fire to start 
easier for a fire to spread. And it means more fuel vegetation is available to burn, which leads to those higher intensity fires that are difficult to possible to extinguish. A warmer world means more fire. And that's what we're seeing in BC. That's what we're seeing in Alberta. And that's what we're seeing in Canada. And in particular, this year is extreme year. And that's mm-hmm. another th- another thing about fire is it's all about the extremes. If fire starts on an average summer day, Alberta wildfire can put it out easy. If fire starts on a day when the fuels are dry and it's hot, dry, and windy, now that's a- another problem. Right. In, in Canada, 3% of the fires burn, 97% of the area burned. And much of this happens on a relatively small number of critical days. We call them spread days, hot, dry, windy. All right? That's when the fire actively spreads. And we're seeing more of these hot, dry, windy days. Thus, we're seeing more fire. The new reality is, I don't like the term normal. It's not normal because mm-hmm. we're on a downward spiral, uh, daunty circles of hell. Are we in the third cycle or fourth cycle? All I know is there's more. <laughs> we, we It can get worse. And yeah. So, you know, we're going to see more fire, unfortunately, more smoke. That's mm-hmm. that's the new reality. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, I mean, that feels pretty daunting. Um, but we know that there are uh, programs like Fire Smart that's, you know, taking some measures to try and help mitigate this. We can talk a little bit later about uh, the role of forest management and, and sustainable forestry. Um, but maybe we'll start with Fire Smart. What does that look like? You know, what's the role there in, in mitigating risks? And, and uh, yeah, let's just chat a little bit about, about FireSmart. Sure. So for those not familiar with it, just put FireSmart or FireSmart Canada in your browser. And there's a website that walk you through things. There's seven principles to FireSmart to help homeowners and community reduce the risk of wildfire. We can never eliminate the risk. Well, I guess if we build a community of pavement and concrete, I guess you could, but other, for most places, we, we reduce the risk. Yeah. And, you know, things like education, vegetation management, and some of it's common sense. And you, you just don't have any flammable material against your house. Because what many people don't realize, the a fire enters the community through a rain of burning embers, it, not through the fire front. And this burning embers land on things. And it's just fires opportunistic. It's probing. It's trying to spread. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so this burning embers, if it falls on something flammable beside your house, uh, a cedar hedge, a mulch, it catches fire. And then your house catches fire. And then the next, your neighbor's house catches fire and so on, you know, from structure to structure. So you have to prevent that, you know, roofing material, needles in your eaves troughs. You know, there's so many ways a fire can start through these rain of burning embers. Mm-hmm. So building material, you know, uh, is really important. And, and this is part of the problem with fire is governance. Some things are controlled by the municipality, some by the province, and some by the feds. And getting everyone on the same page for building codes, community planning, you know, is challenging, but we have to do it because you know, these are some of the things we can do. Uh Education is important. Human-caused fires in Canada have been going down because of education and fire bans. I mean, there are things we can do in addition to fire smart. Things like sprinklers are very effective. Uh, But you have to realize 
that when a fire enters a community, and this happened in Slave Lake, it happened in Fort McMurray, mm-hmm. the first thing that goes is municipal power, followed by municipal wire pressure. So if you use sprinklers, which you know I highly recommend, you have to have independent power, independent wire supply, which makes it more challenging, but it, it is doable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, great point to encourage some folks to look into what those fire spreading practices might be and how they can incorporate it. I, I certainly take your point about the complexities of having all of these different jurisdictions and, and governing bodies on the same page. But, you know, it, it is really important that, uh, you know, we, we notice the trends of wildfire and, and we make those efforts to, to be fire smart. Um, I, I find it really interesting. You almost speak about fire as though it's a, a living organism, in a sense. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, you know, I've been studying fire all my life. Yeah. And, you know, I keep on learning new things. It, it's really quite amazing. But it is kind of, well, you've heard things like the beast and, you know, the Fort McMurray fire. And, yeah, it, it's it's not a person. But, yeah. You know, just some of its nature. You know, it's spreading it's looking for opportunities mm-hmm. you know, and, and sometimes you know like it's so simple and you know there was a a, a home i saw unfortunately burned down just outside of slave lake and they'd done everything right except for they had a mulch strip along their driveway and the fire found it and just like a wick went to the house and burned the house down other places they've had a wood fence and the fire burned along the fence and unfortunately burned the house down uh so this this probing opportunistic nature of fire um you know it's kind of like a human characteristic yeah yeah absolutely um you know you're mentioning some examples from slave lake and i recognize we probably should have established this earlier while you do work in bc now you've done a lot of work in alberta previously so you are quite familiar with the fire ecosystem and, and the world of fire in alberta right yeah, I worked with the Canadian Forest Service for a number of years in Edmonton at the Northern Forestry Center. I also worked for about 10 years at the University of Alberta. So, yes, I've been watching fires in Alberta for some time. Yeah, pretty good understanding of, of the role of that in our province, for sure. Um, let's talk about the role of forestry and forestry uh, forest management and the relationship to wildfire. And what, what do you kind of see there? It, it it's really a complicated situation um and yeah this is to be honest this is starting to move outside my area of research all fair right enough. Uh, okay so nope. that's uh totally fair and i respect that uh, maybe something that we could talk about is the nature of the boreal forest and how we know that it is disturbance driven we know that we have certain cones that you know rely on fire to open up and and so what kind of makes the boreal unique in that sense as compared to other forests so you know our trees in the boreal they survive and even thrive in this regime of semi-regular stand replacing stand renewing high intensity fire um and you know you mentioned cones they we call they're serotonous cones they're sealed with a waxy resin mm-hmm. and the heat from the fire actually opens them up this includes lodgepole pine, jack pine, and black spruce is semi-serotonous. And so you have a stand of jack pine, a fire goes through, you get a new stand of jack pine. It's the cycle of life. It's mother nature doing her thing. And, you know, 
our fire management practices historically have been let's put out fire because it's bad. And sometimes fire for for our society is bad, you know, Slave Lake, Fort McMurray, et cetera. That's not great. But it's fire is natural. All right. Wow. And you know, our forests, you know, that's that's the normal situation is uh, fire goes through, you get a new stand. It burns, and then you get another new stat. And aspen suckers. So, uh, you know, Fort Murray, surrounded by aspen, fires go through, and it kills the parent tree. But underneath, you got the root system, and you get a whole bunch of new suckers coming up afterwards. Now, if we get too much fire, this is a concern as we see more and more fire on our landscape. If you get too much fire, then the conifers do not reach sexual maturity for viable seeds and so you know fire goes through the there's no seed for the next crop mm-hmm. aspen if you keep on getting high intensity fires it will knock it down but what replaces our forest shrublands mm-hmm. or grass and once once again it's you know it's fuel grass can burn every year quite happily uh, so we'll always have fire because there'll always be stuff to burn There'll always be ignition agents like lightning, uh, even if we prevent every human-caused fires. And that is something we can do because, you know, human-caused fires are going down and let's keep that that trend going. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm so glad that you, uh, that you mentioned, you know, the benefits of fire when it comes to renewing or resetting the forest, but also some of the risks. And so a concept that I was exposed to recently that I'm hoping you might be able to um, explore with me a little bit is uh, healthy versus unhealthy fires and how we might be in a position where we have um, quite a lot of mature forests, where we've got lots of those fuels, and we're maybe seeing instances where these fires are burning so intensely that they're considered unhealthy for the forest. And so can we talk about that a little bit? Sure. You know, I, I might want to phrase it wanted versus unwanted fires. So uh, if a fire starts two kilometers from uh, Fort McMurray, it's unwanted fire. It takes you a half second to say, we don't want this fire. Yeah. Let's put it out. And, you know, the strategy with fire management is initial attack. You hit hard, you hit fast while it's small and mm. you know, it's easy to put out. I don't know, 50 kilometers north of Fort McMurray or 100 kilometers north, um, you know, you look at the, the fire weather forecast for the next week or two, you look where the fire will spread, fire growth modeling, we call it. And, you know, you may say, hey, you know, there's mountain pine beetles spreading up here. Fire is a great agent knocking down my mountain pine beetle. So it may be what we call a wanted fire versus an unwanted fire. Mm-hmm. So fire management is changing to work with mother nature when and where possible. Obviously, you know, a fire starting two kilometers from White Court or Grand Prairie, these are unwanted fires. But fires starting in more remote areas where they're not threatening communities or critical infrastructure, we should monitor these fires and, you know, let Mother Nature play a role when possible. Yeah. It's it's challenging, though. And so in northern Saskatchewan, where there's not much human footprint on the landscape you know this is easy to do same with northern manitoba northern ontario northern quebec northwest territories but there's a lot of development in alberta that what makes it much more challenging so maybe we should be doing prescribed burning 
yes, we should be doing more prescribed burning, but it's challenging because it's kind of like a Goldilocks problem Mm -hmm. in that if it's too wet, it won't burn. If it's too dry, it will burn too well, or you don't have any resources, helicopters or crews because they're out fighting wildfires. So Mm -hmm. you got, it's got to be not too wet, not too dry, just right. And those windows are really quite narrow. Mm-hmm. Of course, prescribed fires generate smoke, and people really do not like smoke, for, and for good reason. Uh, yeah, and I mean, certainly from the smoke and the ash and, and stuff from all those wildfires, there are impacts further down the line to our water systems and other things like that. So, yeah, I, it's definitely a, a tricky space. And when it comes to things like prescribed burns, um, that's something that I've heard you know lots about before as well. It's the conditions have to be just absolutely right to do it in the safest and, and most responsible way possible. But we should be doing more of it. But yeah, it's challenging. All right. Well, Mike, this has been a lot of fun and and super informative. So I really appreciate you making the time to join me on our podcast, Forestry Talks. Is there anything else that you would like to add before we wrap up? No, I think we've covered the bases and uh, great chatting with you, Aspen. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Mike. You take care. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Forestry Talks, a podcast that explores all things forestry in Alberta. My name is Aspen, and if you're curious to learn more about forestry in Alberta, check out our website, loveabforests.ca, and follow us on social media at loveabforests. This series is proudly produced by the team at Road 55. Road 55 creates content that connects. For more information, check our website, www.road55.ca.